Shalom, this is Reverend Ferret, and I wanted to welcome you to the archaeology of Shavuot, the archaeology of Pentecost. Now before we start again, I wanted to thank so many of you who have generously donated to Light of Menorah. We depend upon you guys for your donations to keep us going. Light of Menorah exists for you in terms of the fact of teaching the Bible in its historical context. So please remember that nobody in Light of Menorah receives a salary. Your donations go 100% to the ministry. And again, that's going to help us to go to Mexico and return for our eighth mission, teaching mission, to Mexico probably coming up this fall. Those of you that would like to donate to Light of Menorah, we really would appreciate your financial support and your prayer support. Both are needed. You can go to the website www.lightofmenorah.org and Menorah is spelled M-E-N-O-R-A-H and that's one word, Light of Menorah, no spaces. Uh, www.lightofmenorah.org and off on the right-hand side, when you come to the main home page, you'll see the donating basket off on the right side, and you can click on that, and you can donate online. Or on the donating basket, you'll see our post office box address, and you can send your checks made to Light of Menorah and send those via the mail. The, the, the mail. Second of all, all of us, we are disciples of... Adonai Yeshua, the Lord Jesus. He told us to go and make disciples. And our hope is that these podcasts might be useful tools to you in reaching others via the internet and social media, uh, using our Facebook page, and so that you can help with those you're discipling to become more familiar with God's word and go into a deeper walk with Jesus. And third, I want to invite you uh, to contact us, inviting you with your questions and your comments and your thoughts and your insights. You can email us at lightofmenorah, lom.ministries at gmail.com, lom.ministries at gmail.com. You can comment also on the Facebook page. And our Facebook page is www.facebook.com backslash Light of Menorah, all one word, just like the website, with a backslash. www.facebook.com backslash Light of Menorah backslash. Okay, let's begin the final lesson. Let's begin lesson three. And before I do... I do, do want to bring up that in the description of this session that you can find at the website or if you're using the Podbean app, the Podbean app either for Apple or for Android, using the Podbean app or going to the website, you can actually access the session description that I write about this session and in there access the links 
for other information that I would provide. If you're using um, uh, iHeartRadio, you won't be able to do it. And I do not think you'll be able to do it with uh, Apple iTunes. But definitely, or uh, with Google Play Music. But definitely with the Podbean app uh, or going to the website. And I will be providing some links. There will be a link to Ray Vanderland's audio session, a one-hour session by Ray, so you can actually hear Ray teaching, Ray Vanderland, the guy I went to Israel with many, many years ago who started me on this journey. And he's got a wonderful lesson on the Feast of Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost. So there, that link will be there. There will be a link also again to the Temple Institute and their graphic tutorial on Shavuot or Pentecost. And then I will include the chapter, my chapter, from my book on the Spring Feasts. And uh, all of this for all of you that uh, are wanting to go deeper into your study on this specific Feast of the Lord. Now, if you haven't listened to Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 uh, of the Archaeology of Shavuot, the Archaeology of Pentecost series, I really recommend that you do that. I will be assuming, again, that you have, because a number of things that were presented in Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 are foundational uh, as we continue here in Lesson 3 and to our conclusion. So please, uh, if you have that chance, go into Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 and, and listen to those first. What we want to do is we want to talk about some amazing connections between the events at Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments and Shavuot, God's Feast of Shavuot, but the specific one in Acts chapter 2. Now, in Lesson 1 and Lesson 2 of this series, it's clear that God is making a connection of the feasts from Passover to the Feast of First Fruits and the Feast of First Fruits to the Pentecost. But any connection between Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments and Shavuot wasn't recognized in Jesus' day. Highly unlikely. And you can find a lot of this information at a, a great Jewish website uh, called My Jewish Learning. And they will talk about the fact that Shavuot and its connection to Sinai was made well after 70 AD, after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. Another source called the Torah.org, another, again, very good Jewish historical source, said that the first mention of Pentecost as it's related to the giving of the Ten Commandments on Sinai, really the first mention is in the 9th century AD in the Talmud. So in Jesus' day, there was not the recognition that Shavuot was connected to the Ten Commandments. However, it still seems that God is making the connection and he knew one way or another, someplace along the line, we were going to see it. Rabbis finally saw it much after 70 AD and even the Jewish people today when they're celebrating Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, that indeed they're remembering God coming down on Sinai and giving the Ten Commandments. 
So it took a long time for everyone to get it. Now let's consider seven major connections. Seven major connections of the giving of the Ten Commandments and the Feast of Pentecost. First connection. I call it the 50th day. When you read in Exodus, starting in chapter 12, verse 2, I'll be paraphrasing this rather than reading all of these verses. God is basically saying that this month is the beginning of months for you. In other words, the beginning of the year. Now, that's a lunar month. The month is called Nisan. And again, it's a lunar month. So the beginning of the month is the, is the, uh, uh, the new moon. And on that day, on Nisan 1, they're supposed to pick their lamb that they were going to slaughter for the Passover meal. This is God giving the instructions, the first time for that. Go to Exodus 12, verses 6 through 10. God is saying you're going to slaughter the lamb on the 14th day of the month. So they're going to keep this lamb for two weeks. They slaughter the lamb. It's going to be at twilight. In other words, it's going to be before sundown. And they put blood on the doorposts. And later on that night, they eat it at night, which means that's after sundown. So we're in the next day. Remember, a day, a biblical day, ends at sundown and the new day begins at sundown. So Nisan 14, the 14th day, after they slaughtered the lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts, now they may put it before sundown or after, but it says in Exodus 12, 6 through 10, that they're going to eat the roasted lamb at night, which means now it's Nisan 15. The new day begins then. And this is the night of the full moon because you have a two-week cycle from new moon to full moon and from full moon down to the waning moon uh, and the beginning of another month. In Exodus 12, 30 to 37, as you read, you find out that Pharaoh finally calls Moses at night. That's got to be Nisan 15. That's exactly when the angel of death came. He set the people free, and that morning, the Hebrews leave. They leave on Nisan 15. So, on Nisan 15, we would say this is day one of them beginning their journey from Egypt to Sinai. Now, all lunar months, the estimates that we have today is that Nisan was a 30-day month. The next month following Nisan is called Iyar. That's 29 days. The next month after Iyar is Sivan, which is 30 days. And that's how it goes for the rest of the year, alternating between 30 and 29 days based upon the fact of the orbit of the moon. So they left on Nisan 15. That's day one. Nisan has 30 days. So you can do this counting yourself. So if Nisan 15 is day one, by counting, you come to Nisan 30, and that's day 16 on their journey to Sinai. 16 days since they left Egypt. The next day is the new month. It's the new moon. It's Iyar. Iyar day one, which is day 17. Now, Iyar has 29 days. So you get to day 29 of Iyar. If Iyar 1 is 17, it's 29 days long. Then on the 29th day, that's day 45 of their journey 
from Egypt to Sinai. The next month is Sivan 1. We have another new moon. That would be day 46. Let me read Exodus 19.1 because we get to the key verse that we're after in their journey. Reading from the New American Standard Bible, again, chapter 19, verse 1. In the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Now, I'm going to read that in Hebrew. There is a phrase in Hebrew that's very important in this verse. So in Hebrew, Exodus 19.1, it's Ba Kodesh HaShelishi Letzeet Benei Israel Me'eretz Mitzrayim Bayom Hazei Bayu Midbar Sinai. The key phrase there that we're interested in is Bayom Hazei. Bayom Hazei. Beom Hazei, translating it directly from the Hebrew, a very valid translation, would mean on the third day. In other words, the whole phrase means that they came to Sinai on the third day of the third month, on the very self-same day. This is verified by a number of credible Jewish scholars that this is a valid Hebrew translation. So it's very possible they arrived on Sivan 3. Now remember, Sivan 1 is day 46. So Sivan 3 is going to be day 48. 48 days since they left Egypt and they have arrived at Sinai. So it's very possible that the Hebrew means that they arrived on the third day of the third month. And I'm going to suggest, based upon everything we're about to do, that they did. So in Exodus 19, 10 through 11, God is giving Moses further instruction to the people. And we read, The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments. And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So today is day 48. This is the third day of the third month they arrive and God is talking to Moses. So he God is saying on today, day 48, and tomorrow, day 49, get the people ready. Get the people ready. Because on the third day, day 50, Day 50, he's going to come down on Mount Sinai. The 50th day, Pentecost. Or the day after the seven Sabbaths, as we read in Leviticus 23 for Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. This is interesting. This God is not saying this is the Feast of Pentecost, but it's the 50th day. Wow, God is making a connection. On day 50, that's when we read Exodus 20. And Exodus 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, what are they? You go to Exodus 34, 27 through 28, I think these are very critical verses. 
What are the Ten Commandments? God, in these verses, 34, Exodus 34, 27 to 28, God commands Moses to write these Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And Moses does. God says, write these words of the covenant. The Ten Commandments represent the covenant, the new covenant. It's a new way of being in relationship. Us with God and God with us. God gives us Ten Commandments. He gives us Torah at Sinai. And remember, Torah means instruction. He gives us instruction there. The new covenant is given on the mountain of God. Now, in previous lessons, I mentioned something that Jewish people today, they read Psalm 67 each day of the countdown. Remember, there's a countdown. and We talked about that countdown. We'll come address it a little bit later on. From the Feast of Bikarim, Feast of First Fruits, all the way to Shavuot. They read Psalm 67 because in Hebrew it only has 49 words. Well, there's 49 days of the journey from Egypt to Pentecost. And there's 49 words in Psalm 67. You've got to check this out. I gave another link at the website and you are going to be amazed how Psalm 67 relates exactly to the count of the Omer as related to Jesus. From day one, which is his resurrection, to day 40 when he ascends to the Father, to day 50, which is Pentecost. It's an amazing connection and you will find that link at the website, www.lightamenorah.org, in the session description. It's amazing. So it's as God is trying to do something here. He's trying to say that Pentecost, Shavuot, he's saying definitely it's a time to remember the 49-day journey from Egypt to Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments. This is not Pentecost. Pentecost is, is, arrives on a different day, but God, it seems like to saying, you will remember this. It's almost basically at the same time. There's another connection. This is the second connection. Both events, Shavuot in Acts chapter 2 and the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, they both happen at the mountain of God. This is very interesting. Sinai is called the mountain of God in the Torah, in the book of Exodus. Here's three different places. Exodus 3.1, Exodus 4.27, and Exodus 24.13. You can look that up. At Sinai, Mount Horeb, is called the mountain of God. However, <laughs> the mountain of God moves. And in Isaiah 2.3, in Joel 3.17, and in Micah 4.2, the mountain of God is the temple mount. It's the mountain on which the temple has been built. Mount Zion. Now in David's day, Mount Zion was the city of David, and the city of David was a very small portion of the city in Jesus' day. It was just built on a hill just below where the temple would have been built by his son, Solomon. 
But in David's day and in Solomon's day, that hill was called Mount Zion. You can read this in 2 Samuel 5, 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Or in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. So indeed, both events. Shavuot of Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And the giving of the Ten Commandments was given on the mountain of God. Let's take a look at connection number three. There are similar sounds and symbols. In Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19, this is going to be, obviously it is the 50th day and God, things are beginning to happen on Mount Sinai. There's, there's lightning, thunder, there's a loud trumpet blast. In Hebrew, it's a loud shofar blast. It doesn't say trumpet. In Hebrew, it's a shofar, a ram's horn. With a loud shofar, you would say, all right, that means it's a loud blowing wind. And that's exactly what happens. A shofar that's getting louder and louder, that's wind going through a ram's horn. Keep that in mind. The other thing is thunders and the thunderings. That word in Hebrew is kolot. Its Strong's number is H6963. And again, when we take a look at the Gesenius lexicon, Hebrew lexicon, we find out that it means thunder, like in a, like in a storm. But its primary definition, its primary use is for tongues or voices, or languages. The rabbis would say, kolot, that's tongues, and the rabbis would say, especially, this is Middle Ages and after, that God spoke so all the people of the entire world would be able to hear the proclamation of the Torah at Sinai. Not just the Hebrews, but all peoples. He spoke in languages, tongues, and the tongues came upon all the people in fire. And so we can see how the rabbis are connecting lightning, fire, with languages, tongues, and putting together that said God spoke in tongues on Mount Sinai. So all the people from all places of all over the world could hear God's word. The implication is even the rabbis are teaching us God's Torah is for all people, all nations. And through Israel, they would bring the Torah to all of us. Now in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we hear about a loud, lush, a loud rushing wind. Well, that relates to the loud blowing of a shofar, a loud rushing wind. Different, but again somewhat similar. Also, there's tongues of fire. The tongues of fire that settle down on the heads of the disciples. When we take a look at that Greek word, the Greek word is glossa. The Strong's number is G1100. And when we go to Thayer's Greek lexicon, we find out it means languages. A tongue means languages. So there were tongues of fire, this fire was settling in or settling on the disciples. It's not a prayer language. They are going to be speaking in tongues as the tongues of fire come upon them 
And it's a language. They're speaking in languages, as is confirmed in Acts chapter 2. Because Jews and proselyte Gentiles from all over the Roman Empire heard the word of God spoken to them in their native language, not a prayer language. That's a mistake that charismatics make today. This is very clear in the Bible. It is a language. Amazing. God speaks in tongues at Mount Sinai. And the disciples speak in tongues and languages. God wants the whole world to hear the beauty and the awesomeness of the good news. Let's take a look at the fourth connection. Both events, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and also the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 on the 50th day, both have the presence of God. In Exodus 19, 18 through 20, we talk about the Ford, uh, we talk about the Lord Yahweh. He came down on Mount Sinai, so we have the presence of the Lord. In Acts 2, 4, we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, is the Holy Spirit God? Now, this is very interesting. For Christians, they talk about the Trinity, they talk about God and three persons of the Trinity. But is there any discussion that the Holy Spirit is God, and how does the Bible prove it? Well, You'll remember that there was a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they lied about the selling of some property and some land and that they kept part of the money from themselves. And if you recall, uh, Peter confronts them. He confronts Ananias first in Acts 5, verse 3. And Peter says, Ananias... Don't you understand what you did? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And in the next verse, as he goes on to say, you lied to God. What is Luke doing in his writing in the book of Acts in these two verses? You lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. Therefore, who's the Holy Spirit? God. The presence of God. In Jerusalem. At the Temple Mount. On the mountain of God just as the presence of God was at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. So let's review so far. What do we see? What do we have? We're beginning to see some very interesting connections between the giving of the Ten Commandments and Shavuot, especially Shavuot in Acts chapter 2. Each occurs on day 50. Ten Commandments are given on 50 days from Passover. Shavuot, 50 days from the resurrection. Each occur on the mountain of God. Each has a new covenant, the new covenant at Sinai, and a new covenant at Jerusalem when Jesus lifted up that cup. Similar sounds and symbols. And that God was at Sinai, at the mountain of God, and God is at the mountain of God, Jerusalem, at the Temple Mount. Is there more? Are there more connections? This is beginning to definitely support my statement that that translation of that verse in Exodus 19, verse 1, that they arrived on the third day of the third month is probably the way God meant it to be interpreted. Let's take a look 
had even more connections. Let's take a look at connection number five. In Exodus 32:28, at Sinai, after Moses was on Sinai, after Moses had gone up to be with Yahweh, to be with the Lord, and he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, but before he came down, we know about the golden calf incident. When he comes down, 3,000 were executed because of the golden calf incident. However, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter has made a five-minute sermon, and 3,000 decided on Jesus. 3,000 were baptized. At Sinai, 3,000 were executed. And at the mountain of God in Jerusalem, at Pentecost, 3,000 became new creatures in Christ. And they do an immersion in a mikvah. They didn't do a mikvah. That's, a, that's incorrect. So if you Christians out there and saying, yes, Jesus did a mikvah, he did not do a mikvah. You can't do a mikvah. That's like saying, um, I'm going to do a bathtub. A mikvah is the place where gathering of waters, waters are to do an immersion, a taval. So Jesus did a taval, he did not do a mikvah. A mikvah is a, the bathtub, okay? When you want to take a bath, when you want to immerse yourself, you say taval. And you do taval, you immerse yourself in a mikvah. Now in the Jewish culture, you baptized yourself. You immersed yourself. So when Jesus was baptized, he immersed himself in the Jordan. You talk about a gathering of waters. The Jordan itself was the mikvah. John didn't do anything. He didn't do anything to Jesus. He did not dunk him. We have the earliest paintings. We've got one dated to 500 AD. And that earliest painting shows John standing on the bank of the Jordan and Jesus immersing himself. These are the earliest paintings we have. The earliest depictions that we have. Graphical pictures of Jesus' baptism. John is a witness for Jesus of his immersion. And so indeed, where are you going to have 3,000 people immerse themselves? At the Temple Mount, because there were hundreds, hundreds of mikvahot, the Jewish immersion baths, all at the Temple, not in the city, not anywhere near the upper room. Now, some therefore say this is the church's birthday. Um, I'm going to disagree with that. Church, first of all, is a word that does not come into the Bible until about the 15th century. That's a very interesting study in itself. Jesus said that he was going to build his ecclesia, which means an assembly. What's an assembly? Well, you could say uh, it's a group of people, but... <laughs> No, it's a group of people that has a specific common bond, like SEAL Team 6. That is an ecclesia. That's an assembly. You can say uh, in the Catholic Church, the Order of Franciscan Monks. That's an assembly. That's an ecclesia. They are gathered together as a group under one specific purpose. And so the ecclesia is an assembly. I will build my ecclesia my assembly when does it begin 
I believe the birthday, I'm going to suggest this, is probably in John 1. In John 1, Jesus was baptized, and there are two of the disciples of John the Baptist who follow Jesus. One of them happens to be Andrew, Peter's brother. And all of a sudden we have an assembly of two, because they went to follow, it says they followed Jesus. Begin to wonder if Jesus asked them, come, follow me. So the Jesus assembly begins with the two. Now later on, he's in the Galilee, he calls not only Andrew and Peter, but John and his brother, um, there when they were fishing and the assembly gets bigger until it numbers 120 at his ascension so indeed with all of this we think about the 3,000 that were added to the ecclesia the 3,000 that were executed at Sinai very interesting connection 3,000 who immersed themselves so that they can say, indeed, this is a visual representation of our commitment to say that Jesus is Lord. Let's take a look at connection number six. In the sixth connection, God wrote on tablets of stone. This is in Exodus 31, 18. And at Sinai, he gave them his Torah. He gave them additional laws and regulations and guidance and instruction. Just as an aside, Torah, that Hebrew word, means God's instruction. Its Strong's number is H8451. And when you go into the Gesenius lexicon, and if you knew how to look up the root of a Hebrew word, you would find that the Hebrew word comes from the verb to teach. So what do you teach? You teach teachings. What is Torah? The teachings of God, the instructions of God. So they write on tablets of stone, God's word, God's teachings, God's Torah, the Ten Commandments are part of God's instruction. But on Shavuot, in 30 AD, in Acts chapter 2, there's the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 37, where God said through Jeremiah that he will write on their hearts. He would write his Torah on their hearts. Paul teaches of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. And so we have God's Torah on our hearts not his Torah written on stone. And Jesus said that after he ascends, he has to leave because the Spirit would come. And in, and in John 14, 26, Jesus says that the Spirit would come because he will teach you the rest of the stuff. So what do we remember? God brought his teachings to Sinai. And at Jerusalem, he brought his teacher. That's not a coincidence. Amazing connection between the giving of the Ten Commandments and the giving of the Torah at Sinai and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the mountain of God in Jerusalem. 
in connection seven, the last one. At Sinai in Exodus 19, 6, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said, they're going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be a new nation. In Isaiah 42, 6, and in Isaiah 49, 6, God said, you, Israel, are going to be a light to the nations, a light of the world, a kingdom of priests, a new nation, and they're going to be a light to the world. It's a new covenant at the mountain of God. But there's a new covenant at the mountain of God in Jerusalem. At Jesus' last supper, he holds up the cup and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant. And then later on, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. We're called a nation of priests. We're called a holy nation. We're calling a chosen race. Now the Greek word there is genos. Strong's Numbers G1085. And going to the Thayer's Greek lexicon, genos basically means a distinct people group. Okay, a distinct people group like the Polish. Uh, a distinct people group like Native Americans. A distinct people group like the French. So Jews and Gentiles who say that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. We become a distinct people group family of God, a new nation. And as Jesus is called the light of the world, us too, in Matthew 5.14, we're called the light of the world. This is just amazing. God himself is making this connection. Not me. This is all based upon his word. Once again, we reconnect to our Jewish roots. We consider the archaeology. We consider the history. We consider the customs and the culture. We consider how those disciples, those 120 at the Ascension on Omer Day 40 and at Shavuot on Day 50, how, how might they have looked upon all of these events? How might they have understood this? The result for us is the meaning of Pentecost expands and fills in. For us, our understanding is enriched and enhanced. I've been at many churches over these many years and I've attended many Sundays where it was Pentecost Sunday and I'm going to say over three quarters of the time there was not mention, not one mention that it was Pentecost Sunday. The other fourth of the time there was a mention, maybe even a song about the Holy Spirit, but that's it. All they talked about was the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the church. Ladies and gentlemen, it's bigger than that. This is huge. And to me, it, it excites me to say, we need to renew this feast. We need to come again and celebrate and, and make this a big deal on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday should be a major event in the church. It's an opportunity to preach the gospel in such explosive ways. It's just amazing. I end with this. We've taken a look 
that God indeed on purpose is really making a connection between Passover and Pentecost, between the Feast of Bikarim and the Feast of Pentecost, between the giving of the Ten Commandments on Sinai, the mountain of God, and the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower those 120 to become fruitful and fill the earth with the salvation of Jesus. In lesson one of the series, we did talk about all those connections. And it so happens that on the Feast of Bickering, the Feast of First Fruits, on Resurrection Sunday, if you recall, the priest held up in the temple on that Sunday morning two gigantic loaves of unleavened barley bread. And this was to thank God and give him glory for the harvest, the harvest of grain, to make bread. Bread was the staple of life. Bread was, the, it's the food of life, the bread of life. But Jesus rises the same day. You might say Jesus rises before the Father. He has no sin. He has no leaven. He is the bread of life. To me, it's like a picture of Jesus. He came once and will come again. He came once, he was unleavened. He will come again, he maintains to be unleavened. But on the Feast of Bikarim, on the Feast of First Fruits, God orders a countdown. He said, now you will begin counting. And the countdown goes down to Shavuot. On day 40 of the Omer, and they call it the counting of the Omer. Omer means sheaf. They would take a sheaf of barley grain and bring it into the temple. And out of that grain, they would make those two unleavened loaves. So this was called the Omer count. Counting the Omer. Till the 50th day, Jesus ascends to the Father on day 40 of the Omer. When you start studying the number 40 and its relationship to the Hebrew letter Mem, we talk about the fact that it represents a complete process. It represents many other things too. But one of the symbolizations of the 40 is a complete process. Like 40 weeks of gestation till birth for a baby. The average time from conception to birth is roughly 40 weeks. A complete process. And Jesus, on Omer day 40, he rises and ascends back to the Father. His mission is over. The process is complete. And 10 days left to Shavuot. Something new is about to happen. Pentecost arrives. And it's the beginning of the wheat harvest. In lesson two, we talked about the fact that Jesus talks about gathering his wheat into his barn, building his church. And his disciples are devout Jews. They kept God's feasts. Wheat, gathering wheat in the barns, when does that happen? Pentecost, Shavuot. It reminds them of Shavuot. Now when you go to Leviticus 23, 17, on Shavuot there is a temple ritual. There is a te temple ceremony early in the morning that Sunday. Two loaves are lifted up, but this time, these loaves are leavened, made out of wheat. And again, just as the Feast of First Fruits, which is right after Passover, here at Pentecost is to give thanks to God for the harvest. And the harvest of the first fruits at the wheat harvest. They're leavened. 
to me, it continues to be a picture. So again, this is just the way I look at it. I'm not trying to say that this is what it means, but this is a picture for me. A picture of the followers of Jesus. The picture of the followers of Yeshua. One loaf would be the Messianic Jews. The Jews are one loaf, a leavened loaf. The Gentiles are the other loaf. Now this is a picture for me. I want to read Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, Torah, that's what it says in Hebrew, I will put my Torah within them on their heart, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It's a new race. It's a new people. It's a new nation. The old leaven has been taken out, the leaven of sin. The new leaven has been put in. We're new creatures in Christ. A new beginning has started. Two loaves leavened with a new culture, a new life, a new being. We're lifted up as one, Jew and Gentile, before Yeshua. And we remember Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 16. John chapter 10 is that famous chapter in, in, in John where Jesus is talking to say, I am the good shepherd. And on top of that, this is where he says, I'm the door of the sheep. But in John 10, verse 16, he says, but I have another flock that I must gather in. The Jews are one flock and the Gentiles are another. The two loaves of, unleavened, of leavened bread. And he says, I will bring them in and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Shavuot, the birthday of the church? No. It's the gathering together of the two flocks of Jew and Gentile together to become one flock with one shepherd. And Jesus is coming again. All of this on Shavuot. Shalom.